everybody, Davis here. We decided after the fact that we might actually split this into two separate episodes. So, last episode, if you listened last week, you heard gamification. These were recorded in the same call, same day. That's why the episodes are shorter, but this one is 3D printing. So, of course, as always, make sure to pick yourself up a copy of Bits, Bites, and Barrels, Jeffrey's incredible book. That's what this podcast builds off of. And if you're listening, why aren't you on YouTube? Join the YouTube community. Subscribe to Rare Petro. We've got great visuals. I've got a pretty spiffy fit going on today, and Jeffrey's usually got a bow tie that you may not want to miss. So without further ado, I'll let you hop right into the episode. So we're going to transition to something that I think is a little bit less abstract, something that I think we're all a bit more familiar with, 3D printing. So are we talking about the same type of printer that our high school got a grant for and put in the back that was really only used for gimmicky prints? Are we talking bigger and badder machines? Well, maybe your high school got a grant <laughs> for a 3D printer, but my high school... <laughs> It didn't exist back then. Uh-huh. And so 3, 3D printing goes by, uh, the industrial name is called additive manufacturing. And the concept of additive manufacturing is that an object uh, that we are making is built up slowly by depositing layers of material in a specific pattern. And those, that material cures into the hard form uh, that, that we're after. Hmm. Uh, and um, uh, this technology is advancing incredibly quickly. Uh, to, just to illustrate, in, in 2008... Uh, the slowest uh, additive printer, 3D ma- uh, printer, um, cost $18,000. That was the slow one. The fast <laughs> ones would have been a lot more expensive. Oh, By 2017, the slowest 3D printer cost $400. And it was 100 times faster than the slowest printer um, from, from 2008. So mm-hmm. um, 3D printing is on Moore's Law. Make no mistake about it. The cost is collapsing. And the speed and the performance and the capability is rocketing in the other direction. So it's, uh, it's one of those technologies that's changing uh, very, very rapidly. And, and it's, it's in mostly in manufacturing, but um, oil and gas uses a lot of manufactured items. And so it, it'll be definitely be impacting the oil and gas industry too. Yeah, and you're definitely right. I mean, $18,000 to, I mean, two years ago in the last place I lived, my roommate had a 3D printer that he would use for his aerospace projects. So... I mean, it became a household item at that point, but we also have in an industrial setting that subtractive manufacturing, the machining, the milling. What's the advantage with 3D printing? I mean, what kind of examples are we running into where it's better to 3D print versus use the traditional subtractive manufacturing? Well, 3D printing by its, uh, because you're depositing layers of material and building up your object means that you are producing no waste. So there's significant waste savings, there's significant time savings, because instead of having to manufacture first a mold or doing a design where you then have to put your materials into the mold to make your thing, uh, you can actually um, produce it uh, from, from, from first principles, from scratch, from the original design. So you save manufacturing steps um, through this. Uh, each subsequent design is perfect because the the printer is always printing exactly correctly. There's your mold doesn't deteriorate over time, mm-hmm. uh, and then forcing you to have to do a remold. 
uh, when you're doing a manufacturing run, uh, you, you know, typically you have a setup cost. You have to switch out the machinery and pop in your new mold and do your test run, and then you start manufacturing. All that's gone with 3D printing. You just, you just start producing. So there's very, very significant uh, time savings uh, in, in the, the manufacturing cycle, and there's no waste. You're not producing waste material. Instead of making something, mm. you then have to carve away the parts you don't want. They go into the scrap pile. You only produce what you need. So lower carbon, lower waste, lower waste handling, faster. You, you can see why this is very attractive to a manufacturing industry if you can figure out yeah. how to apply this to long-run manufacturing product runs that we typically see. Mm -hmm. So the uses that I see, um, I, eyewear, footwear, uh, tires for cars, um, sh vessels. Uh, the the um, U.S. Marines use 3D printing to manufacture, design, build, and, and produce um, uh, uh, vessels for 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 um, you know secret um, secret things that the military likes to do. You know, infiltrate a country. If you need a, a quick <laughs> submarine, if you need a submarine designed. That's months and months and months. What if you could print one up right on your right on your um, your aircraft carrier? Why not? So uh, footwear, bridges, buildings now are being 3D printed. Uh, foundations, you mentioned aerospace parts, very common. One of the first use cases uh, for 3D printing was GE, who were using the, uh, the 3D printing for metal to manufacture those blades that go in turbines. Mm. Uh, they're they're failure prone and they're very delicate, but they, they, they could manufacture them with 3D printing. Uh, and because of the, the way you can deposit the material and design the item f uh, without waste, you can make them, uh, from an engineering standpoint, stronger, lighter, rigid with less material because you're, you're building them so that the stress points and, the, and the, the weight of the structure that you're building is designed precisely where you need it as opposed mm -hmm. to having, having all kinds of extra material around. Uh, so lots of use cases for, for 3D printing in industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of use cases and definitely plenty of potential moving forward. But what about oil and gas? Is this, has this been implemented yet? I know this is the last episode, but there's got to be something, right? Um, well, it has been, as, as I say, it's been a thing now for, uh, for a decade or more as, a, as, a, as an industrial concept. Uh, I, I was at a conference a couple of years ago uh, presenting um, on uh, digital innovation in oil and gas. And there, it was a, it was a, a room of 150 um, people or so, so not a huge group. And I just asked for a show of hands, how many of you are experimenting or doing anything with 3D printing? One company put his hmm. hand up, one guy out of 150. So that's a couple of years ago. It's, this is pretty novel stuff for, the, uh, for oil and gas companies. And, and oil and gas companies don't view themselves as makers of stuff. Like they, what they do is they buy the technology they need and then they start extracting the, process, the fossil fuel and pushing it through that, that uh, equipment. So the real buyer for this is likely more in the supply chain, people who are making the kit that goes into oil and gas. And sure enough, that one guy who put his hand up, he sold valves. And he was interested to see how could 3D printing change his valve business. Mm -hmm. Do you ever follow up? <laughs> is he doing well today? Uh, I have. His company's doing exceptionally well. I don't Ooh. know if he's actually advanced and using 3D printing in the valve mm -hmm. uh, industry. But it, uh, as last year, certainly before the pandemic, as you went to a trade shows uh, in oil and gas, there were mm -hmm. always a handful of companies who were showing off the latest in 3D printing uh, specifically in, in some of the more delicate machine parts that might be valuable on an oil and gas site. Mm -hmm. And at those trade shows, those companies, uh, what type of assets and work processes are they baiting you in with? I mean, how do they sell it? What's going to benefit the most? 
Well, what they were showing certainly was uh, the, the ease with which you could actually manufacture a relatively delicate or hard to make uh, part. So that was valuable. Second thing, probably more, more valuable, uh, the ability to um, uh, do trials, like to, to say, say you're experimenting and you're trying, to, you're trying to solve an industrial problem with some sort of mechanical design and you need to produce iteration after iteration after iteration. So much easier and faster to do this with 3D printing than to turn to a subcontractor and say, I need you to you know, design this part for me. I, I, it probably won't even work, but as long as you can design it, I can see how uh, I can trial it. Hmm. Too slow. Uh, and way too costly. <laughs> uh, what, you, what, what you do now is just 3D print. So what this does is it accelerates the R&D cycle. Um, and so for the, you know, the, wh where's the point of greatest uplift? Probably there, probably in, in um, those companies that are building things and want to do, uh, take iterative design of mechanical components uh, to that level. Mm -hmm. And it, the way you're describing it, it sounds like in a way 3D printing is kind of cutting out the middleman. I mean, if I have the stock, and if I have the instructions, I can print it. I don't need it shipped to me. So what areas are going to benefit most from that? Just tiny little specific parts or big other pieces? Well, could be, could be uh, virtually anything. Uh, well, again, back to an Australia story. Um, in Australia, the gas fields had, uh, that were developed for the uh, liquefied natural gas uh, export industry it included two kilometers of, of plastic pipe uh, per well. And the two kilometers, one kilometer of pipe was, uh, there was a gas uh, water separator at the wellhead. So the, uh, the wastewater went to down one flow line and the gas went down another flow line. Well, an entrepreneur noted that the costs to install that pipe um, included shipping all of the pipe over from uh, some, some place, some facility, and the pipes had to be joined together in a kind of a, in, these were polyethylene pipes. So there's a bit of a plastic weld that held the, place, uh, the pipe together in a, in, a, in a sleeve. And uh, what he did it instead was he developed a in-situ pipe manufacturing machine. So you dumped the plastic into this hopper in the machine. Mm. And uh, what it did is it, it extruded the pipe as, as behind the machine. And, and it went directly into the soil. So it cured super quick and it went underground. Wow. So all you did was trench it and then manufacture your pipe and put it into the ground. All, so you, all you did was drag the machine behind you. What was the upside of this? Do you ever see what two kilometers of plastic pipe looks like on a flatbed truck? It gets has a lot of pipe. <laughs> and uh, so what he did was he just shipped the plastic over. If you're, if you're shipping pipe, you're shipping a lot of air. Mm. Pipes are hollow. So, you know, it's expensive. He was shipping just the raw plastic. Just, that's just one trial use case uh, for, uh, for 3D printing happened to be in, in, in uh, pipe laying. But yes, the, uh, the, the upside for industry is dramatically lower costs. And as I say, I don't think we've really scratched the surface yet as to where all of the, um, all the possibilities could be. Mm -hmm. uh, but but uh, you know, um, the, the parts that break easily, the parts that are made out of resins and plastics, uh, casings, sh doors, hinges, all that sort of fiddly stuff um, could lend itself to a quick 3D print rather than contracting the, uh, con contacting the company that manufacture them. They have to spin up a supply chain in China somewhere and sh you know, ship. No, 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 you just, just, just print it right at your own, in your own shop. Mm -hmm. And then I'd like to break it down. I know there might not be exact use cases, but we've got production and then we've got field services. Where does production stand to benefit the most when this is uh, more maturely implemented? 
Well, production, I think, is um, uh, much less impacted by 3D printing than the services industry. And, and by there, I'm drawing this di distinction between uh, production's main occupation, which is to keep product flowing through the supply line, and field services, which are there to maintain, repair, replace, uh, lubricate, inspect uh, those assets as they're running. And so the, the, someone who's actually running production, I don't see much day-to-day um, uh, -day activity that involves 3D printing. For services, however, very different. Should be lots of opportunity for uh, services companies to explore 3D printing and to see where and how it could make some savings. Mm -hmm. And then what factors will need specific attention? I mean, we just talked about gamification. I imagine 3D printing is a little bit more cyber heavy. What do you got to think about when you choose to take advantage of it? Well, uh, one would be if the, 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 the is, is, when you think about 3D printing, the printer itself needs a set of instructions to, to print something. And it turns out with, uh, because the printer itself is falling in cost and rising in capability, the real value here is going to be in the recipe, if you like, the set of instructions that you feed the machine to print the item that you want. That's where the value is going to be. And so the protection, as you talk about cyber, the protection here for a company who publishes that IP is wrapping a cyber envelope around their IP so that it doesn't get stolen. If you authorize a company to print one version of something, you don't want them printing three, five, or 30 going into a manufacturing <laughs> to sort of print, print hundreds of copies yep. of, your, of your invention. So you need to control all of that. And this is an, one of those angles where uh, 3D printing um, benefits uh, directly from another digital technology, which is blockchain. On blockchain, you can record immutably precisely how many times the 3D printer produced a specific item. And then you can freeze uh, the uh, machine so it doesn't print any more copies. Uh, that's a use case that Equinor is currently using in, in Norway. Um, so the, the, this is the, the, the place where um, you, 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 would, you would apply uh, some digital smarts. Um, other protection, though, um, how do you know you're not printing a false part? How, how would you even know? Uh, so um, fake parts, fal false parts, parts that haven't been certified. Are you, have you printing something which looks like, a, looks like it will do the job, but, <laughs> but actually hasn't passed any of the tests? Uh, did you use the right material when you were printing the product to, so that you make sure that uh, you know, if, if the product does fail and there's some litigation, you, you want to make sure if you're the IP, manuf the IP seller, uh, how do you insulate yourself from um, a, a shop that's making something under your IP, but they've used all the wrong material for the, for the job? Like that's uh, all, all interesting questions that have to be sorted through here. None of them insurmountable, but, but they, have to be, they have to be addressed. Definitely. And once you do get through addressing those questions, how does a company choose to implement this? I mean, if you were to look at cost savings, it may not be well super convincing. What else do they need to consider? Well, um, uh, so time savings are probably the biggest driver. What the 3D printing lets people do is save time. And time is very, very valuable now. Uh, the second thing that you can do with 3D printing is do things in parallel that you normally would have done serially. Now that creates a time saving, but what you've also done is you've just all, all, uh, re-architected re, re the process. And by that, I mean, back to my example of using 3D printing to um, manufacture a, a trial of a, say uh, you're, you're trying to build a, a new subsurface, um, uh, a subsurface pump uh, feature, and you're trying to figure out the mechanical um, uh, elements of it. 
and uh, it's much faster for you to print three or four different designs and, and see how they all work before you settle on one rather than sending them one serially out to your, out to your uh, test manufacturing uh, 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 contractor. So this experimentation um, feature is one of its, uh, one of its big upsides. Um, and there's no question there will be a competitive, um, a competitive um, opportunity uh, for those companies that figure out how to exploit this time advantage. If, if you can respond faster than your competitors because you can print what you need, whereas they have to ship it in from South Korea, uh, you have a competitive advantage on your side, especially in this pandemic era. Mm -hmm. And then I'd like to circle back a bit and talk about security. I know that you mentioned sometimes there's fake parts or parts that are not made for the job. Are there any other things you have to consider when you have a network of 3D printers and people trading instructions? Well, it's back to the uh, same, same challenge I talked about earlier. Assurance against fraud, uh, protection of over the IP so that you're uh, not open to litigation, uh, protection over the uh, IP so that's not being tampered with. I've not um, personally seen or heard of this uh, as, a, as an issue, but you can imagine if you're, um, if you're a particularly nefarious individual and you, <laughs> you, were, you were able to hack into someone's uh, 3D printing facility, you could, you could subtly tweak a design so that it, uh, it doesn't produce the part uh, correctly. Um, but that's a, that's a pretty long way to go uh, to, to kind of mess around with, uh, with, with, uh, with, uh, in, in Cyberland. So the main, the main issues here, as I say, the printers themselves are not the, the powerful part of the puzzle. It's the, it's the intellectual property on what's being printed. And that's, that's the main game here. So how do you protect your rights and uh, your, uh, your responsibilities to, to and auth authorities to, to print precisely what you've contracted for? Mm-hmm. And then how can management and C-level employees better prepare themselves to adopt this technology? I mean, maybe they're not so hands-on with it as compared to the other professionals, but what do they need to do? What do they need to consider? What do they need to learn? Well, certainly the, uh, the, the uh, shops or facilities which are in, back into field services or technology shops with an R&D lab, uh, I, would be, I would be shocked, frankly. Uh, if I if I went to the R&D labs of, of um, virtually any of the larger companies and there was no 3D printing being used to experiment with with designs at this stage, so I, I th in the in that R&D world, I believe this technology is making its uh, making its presence felt. Um, but far and away, the biggest issue or biggest uh, challenge 3D printing poses to oil and gas is when the supply chains of the world reconfigure themselves around the power of 3D printing. So instead of manufacturing in a facility in China and, and uh, supply chain uh, coordination to bring the products that you're, you're manufacturing to North America, uh, you're, you're making directly in North America. And this has cut out this whole uh, supply chain uh, function. And so there will be many companies who are gonna lose in this because uh, as we reshift these uh, supply chains uh, to be more domestic, um, the, the impact on those companies is, could be devastating, but for oil and gas, it will be a reduction in demand for fossil fuels. That's certainly the forecast from, from um, the IEA, among others, who are staring at 3D printing and its impact. So there's the, there's the big story. This is much more about manufacturing than oil and gas, and it relates directly to managing down the demand curve for fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. And then what about people like me, younger professionals or technical people, or maybe even a student listening to this podcast? Should we work to stay sharp in our AutoCAD design skills or should we, <laughs> how else can we prepare ourselves? 
Well, if you're um, if you have that sort of design acumen, uh, these these printers now are so cheap. It's, it's uh, you know it's the, the ability to go and d design and print your own um, your own items just for fun is, is absolutely within reach. But I wouldn't I wouldn't advocate that for everybody mm. because after all, not all of us are going to be product designers. But if that was your bent, in other words, you this is where your where your interests lie. Uh, I would I would very certainly advocate that you uh, see about. Uh, getting involved with uh, either uh, incubator or uh, uh, universities often have 3D printing labs where where they uh, they do training, uh, or in, if you have the have the capital, uh, encourage your employer to bring it into your your own company's experimentation labs, uh, or uh, in the <laughs> if you have if you have lots have your own 400 or 500 dollars lying around, uh, go buy your one. Because as you say, they're they're not that expensive now. They don't take up a lot of room, and and they're you know fun to play with. Design your own toys. Mm -hmm. All right, I think that's uh, everything I had to ask about with three D printing. Anything else you'd like to say? I only to keep an eye on this technology because it has uh, it's one of those uh, tech technologies I think with the strong sleeper uh, potential impacts. It it could have a significant driver effect on the fortunes of the industry. And so uh, for managers out there, I keep an eye on this one. All right, and I think that wraps up the the last episode we wanted to do for the chapter two portion of bits, bytes, and barrels. And yeah, you heard me right. We only covered one chapter in this entire series. So who knows? We might come back with more. So make sure not only that you buy a copy of this book, but that you follow Rare Petro, Jeffrey. I'll be sure to include all the links here down below in the description. There's plenty of information out there. The digital oil field is here. It's developing and we're moving into the future. What worked in the past is not going to be super applicable. So Jeffrey, anything else before we close out? Uh, nothing, nothing more to to add. I, it's, uh, this is uh, many young people say to me, "Oh, the, this is the end of this industry." Mm, this could be nothing <laughs> could be further from the truth. This industry has tremendous potential, and, and to be part of oil and gas when it's in transition stage uh, is the best uh, time for people in their careers. So stick around. Lots going on in oil and gas. Exactly, he knows it. So make sure you get yourself a copy. You can buy a physical copy. You can listen to it on Audible. You can take his course that pairs with the book online and become a professional. But that is end of this episode. So until we see you next time, please take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>